We've been talking about a passage of Scripture out of Second Peter chapter 1, in which we talked about how that God gives us the gift of faith. That is the ability to believe. Just like Lewis, you didn't believe in Jesus just because you decided to. God gave you the gift of being able to do that. I mean, he is the one that gets all the praise and all the glory for salvation, anybody's salvation. And so there, there is work that only God can do. Only God can save. The Bible says salvation is of the Lord. And so he does it. He gets all the glory and all the credit for it. But after we're saved, the Bible tells us that we are to live like we're saved. In fact, in our Sunday school lesson this morning, wasn't that a great Sunday school class this morning? We studied the passage there in, in 1 Peter, still written by the same one that wrote 2 Peter. But in 1 Peter, he talks about because you are holy. God has made you holy. God has actually called you to be holy. He has indwelt you with the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Scriptures, and we are called His holy people. Now, you may not feel holy. In fact, uh, you ask some people, are you a saint? And they say, well, no, I'm not a saint. Well, if you're saved, you're a saint. You really are. You say, well, I don't always act like a saint. Well, that's a problem. You ought to. But the fact is, you are holy. God, who is holy, has called you to be holy. Not that he's told you you ought to be holy. He has said, because I have given you new birth through the Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit, you are my holy people. And you are. You're a holy person. Now, what Peter is saying, since you are holy, behave like it. Live like a holy person. Know who you are and then live who you are. I was telling my Sunday school this class this morning that when I was about 12 years old, I went off to 4-H club camp. It was a camp that they had back up in Martin, Tennessee. Back in every year, all us 4-H club kids would go to camp. We'd be there for a whole week. Well, my cousin Tommy and I had decided that we were going to get into a lot of mischief that week. We actually had taken some stuff that we weren't supposed to take to camp and that no 12-year-old boy should have anyway, and we had already planned some shenanigans we were going to pull and some trouble we were going to cause. And so I don't know if my mother figured it out or what, but just before we got on the bus to go to camp, my mother called me over into a little corner area, and she said, Son, remember who you are. And I thought, remember who I am? I don't think I've ever forgotten who I am. And I thought, well, you've written my name in all my underwear anyway, you know, so I I figured there's no way for me to forget who I am. But I knew she must have meant something else. And so I looked kind of quizzically at her and she said, when you go to camp this week, people are going to know that you are the son of Raymond and Mabel Harris. And she said, if you get to camp and you really, really are a good boy, they're not going to say just what a good boy you are. They're going to say, he must have really good parents. But she said, if you get there and you misbehave and you act ugly, 
They're not just going to say what a bad boy he is. They're going to say what bad parents he must have. Well, it ruined my week. All that stuff I'd planned to do, I couldn't do. And my cousin, Tommy, comes to me and he said, Hey, I got all this stuff. I said, Tommy, I can't do that. Why not? I said, because I know who I am. I'm the son of Raymond and Mabel Harris. And I can't go up there and act in such a way that's going to bring shame on their name. Well, if that's true with our physical parents, how much more is that true with our Heavenly Father? My goodness, we are the children of God. And so when we get out here and people see us, they look at us, but they don't just see us. They see what we say we believe about Him. So if I get out here and I act ugly and I, I, uh, I have bad reactions and I, I have a lot of anger and I do bad things, people don't just look at me as a Christian and say, you're a joke. They look at me and they say, he's a joke. But when I love like I ought to love, when the love of Jesus fills my heart, flows out of my heart, and touches the lives of other people, people don't just say, I think he is real. They say, I think he is real. And that's what he's saying. That's the the reason the Bible says that we're saved by faith alone. But that faith should never just be alone because we are to add to our faith. First of all, we saw last week, he said, add to your faith virtue. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he said, add to your faith virtue. And we said last week that virtue is this idea of having such a passionate love for Jesus that we ask ourselves this question, what is there in my life that doesn't belong there? And what is there that is not in my life that does belong there? And so I want to start laying aside all the stuff that doesn't belong there. I've told you before, when I was saved, I was a 17-year-old boy, and one of my besetting sins was that I had a filthy mouth. But as soon as I got saved, the Lord said, that has to go. You are not to talk that way anymore. And I laid that aside, and by the grace of God, I've not cursed since then. And that's been 55 years ago. And I said, that has to go. And there were other things that God said, that needs to go, that needs to go. But then there were some things that he said, this needs to come. And you need to add virtue to your life. That is passionate, loving, and living for Jesus. And that's the first thing we add, is this passionate love for him. And it ought to be easy to love him, you know. It really ought to be easy to love Jesus because he loved you first. He left heaven's glory and he came to this stinking, dirty, sinful, filthy earth and lived for 33 years in a human body 
that he had never had before. He had lived (coughs) with the worship of angels. But he comes down to this earth, takes on human form, lives as a servant, and then gets kicked around, mistreated, nailed to a cross, and he did all of it of his own choice. He didn't have to do any of that. But he did it because he looked at you and he said, I do this because I love you. I love you. I love you. And so it ought to be easy for us to love him. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So you add to your faith virtue. But then he says, add to your virtue knowledge. Knowledge. Now that's an interesting, interesting uh, thing. What does that mean? What does it mean to add knowledge to our virtue? As a Christian, I'm supposed to add virtue first a passionate love for Jesus, and then I'm to add knowledge. That's important because over in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's a dangerous thing to not add knowledge to your virtue. So what does that mean? What, what does it mean, Knowledge. Well, I think it means three things. Number one, it means information. That is, we are to learn facts and scripture and history. and It's kind of like uh, going to Bible college or seminary, you know. You can learn. There's a lot to learn about the Bible. And you can study the Bible. And you ought to study the Bible. You ought to, you ought to add head knowledge, but you have to be careful about that because you can have a head full of information and a heart empty of devotion. And so it's important to learn, but the Bible gives us some warnings. Listen to this. It says in Isaiah 47 verse 10, You have trusted in your wickedness. You have said no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you've said in your heart, I am. And there is no one else besides me. Did you know that knowledge, head knowledge, can just make you arrogant? It can make you all puffed up. As a matter of fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Knowledge puffs up. Now, concerning things offered to idol, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. You can have a head full of knowledge and a heart empty of love. That's what he's saying here. And love is the main thing. And so we ought to have knowledge. We ought to study. We ought to learn. Well, I I believe it's important to even try to memorize some scripture and things like that. But we ought not to brag about it. We ought not to go around and say, well, I'm so smart, you know. As a matter of fact, the driest time in my life spiritually was the three years I was in seminary. That's awful, isn't it? Here I was around preacher boys and professors all day, seven days a week, and I was studying the Bible, but I was studying it to pass tests. 
I was studying it to get a degree. I was studying it for only information, and my heart just shriveled up during those three years. And I had a head full of knowledge, but a heart that had dried up like a prune. And I want you to know, knowledge is important. So this is not the kind of knowledge only that he is talking about. In fact, you can increase knowledge and increase sorrow. Ecclesiastes 1.18 says, In much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. So here's a, here's a charge and a warning. Study. Study. That's the charge. Study your Bible. Study about the Bible. And by the way, there is absolutely no excuse today for people to be biblically ignorant. That's right. There's just no reason. I mean, there's, there's tons of books. And then if you've got the Internet, you can, you can just learn so much. I listen to probably, what, 10 or 12 sermons a week. And you say, well, I guess you're just trying to get preaching stuff. No, I can't even preach that many sermons a week. I listen to it because I need it. I like to learn. I like to know. I like to hear good preaching. Let me tell you a couple of places. If you want to if you want to study your Bible, you ought to go to YouTube. Everybody has that on their phone and on their iPad and their computer. YouTube. That's Y-O-U-T-U-B-E. YouTube. And then type in up there in the search uh, the the Bible Project, the Bible Project, there it is right there. And something like this will come up, and then you can scroll down a little bit and look at all those. That, that's a little, uh, you can click on any one of those, and it'll give you like a 10-minute or 12-minute overview of what that, what that book in the Bible is about. And I mean, they're amazing. They're wonderful. I sometimes I've stayed up till two in the morning. Just I, every time I one will finish, I'll think, well, okay, I'm through now. But then it'll say the next one will start automatically in ten seconds, and I think, okay, I'll go ahead and watch that one. And I'll I'll watch uh, a whole bunch of them at one time. But they're so good. And then if you want a website to go to that can just give you more information than you can ever. Imagine, it's called DesiringGod.org. DesiringGod.org. And this is John Piper uh, out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And there's just, like I say, I, I can't even begin to tell you how much information is on there. And I'm on this every day. There's not a day of my life that I'm not on DesiringGod.org. And there are articles, there are videos, there are sermons, there are uh, 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 a thing called Ask Pastor John, where there have been 970 different questions that have been asked to him, and he gives biblical answers to those questions, and probably a lot of them would be some of the questions you've been asking. So, uh, So I'm a fan of learning. I'm a fan of getting head knowledge as long as it doesn't stop here. You see, there's about an 18-inch gap between the head and the heart, 
And there are a lot of people that are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, you see, because they're going to know all kinds of stuff, but they've never really experienced what they know. So, uh, so the first thing about knowledge, adding knowledge, is to study. The Bible says <coughs> study to show yourself approved unto God. So learn, read, study, hide God's word in your heart. It'll help you not sin against God. So, so study, but that's not the only kind of knowledge. The second kind of knowledge is what I just call experiential knowledge, knowing by experience. In fact, Genesis chapter 30, verse 27, Laban is talking to Jacob, and Laban said, Please stay if I found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. So we can learn some things by studying, but then there are some things we have to learn by experience. Let me tell you, before Carol and I got married, almost 51 years ago, I wanted to know about marriage. So I got some books on marriage. There were about two of them that had been written back then. And uh, there have been two million since then, but about two had been written back before then. And I got them, and I studied about marriage. And uh, I even preached a little bit about it before I was married. And everybody kind of laughed. They thought, you're so crazy because I was talking about stuff I didn't really know. I had it in my head, and then we got married on December the 18th, 1965, and, and after 51 years now, I know about marriage. That's right. At least I know about our marriage. And see, and if anybody had asked me, do you know Carol? Richardson, she was Carol Richardson back then. I'd say, yeah, I know her. But after we've been married 50 years, I know her, you see. And she knows me. And I think she would have still married me even though she knows me. You know, I wouldn't sure married her. But uh, so we can say, somebody say, do you know the Lord? Say, yeah, I know the Lord. But you ask them five years later after they've gone through some deep waters and after they've walked through some fire and after they've had to really call out to the Lord and trust in Him and He's been right there with them, they say, yeah, I know the Lord now. See, it's one thing to know Him in your head. It's another thing to know Him by experience. And I tell you, God wants us to learn by experience. And that's part of what it means to add knowledge. That's part of what it means when it means it says grow in grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do we grow in knowledge? It's by walking with Him. That's how you get to know somebody. If somebody asks me, you know, do you know uh, uh, the mayor of Ovilla? Well, I really don't. <laughs> uh, let's see. I have met the mayor of uh, Glen Heights. Say, do you know the mayor at Glen Heights? Yeah, I, I know him. They say, well, well, what's his favorite food? Well, I don't know that. Well, uh, what's his wife's name? Well, I don't know that. Well, where does he live? Well, I don't know that. They say, well, then you don't know much, do you? Well, no, I just know him. That means I've met him. But if I want to know him, I've got to spend time with him. 
I've got to interact with him. I've got to, I've got to listen to what he has to say. I've got to share my heart with him. Do you know the Lord? Well, you say, well, I, yeah, I know who he is. I, I know, yeah, but the only way you really get to know him is to really spend time with him in all kinds of times. Not just church times, but in hard times and in good times and in struggling times. That's the way you add knowledge to virtue. But there's another aspect of knowledge that is even better than knowing with your head and knowing by experience, and it is intimacy. That is knowing the Lord in a relationship or a fellowship of love. You know, I used to say being a Christian is not a religion, it's a relationship. That's true. But I have come over the last several years to go even further than that. Being a Christian is not a religion. It is a relationship that leads to a romance. And I'm asking, do you love the Lord? Do you love Him? I mean, do you, do you think about Him? You know, when you love somebody, they're on your mind all the time, you know. Our uh, granddaughter is engaged. She's going to be getting married in January. And if you were to ask her, how often do you think about Caleb? She'd say, almost all the time. I mean, I think about him every day. He's on my mind. If I ask Caleb, how often do you think about Brianna? He better say, all the time. Yeah. He better not say, oh, who? You know, you'd think, well, what's wrong with you? No. No, when you love somebody, their interests are your interests. Their needs are important to you. They're, they are important to you. You love them. And that's what it means to know the Lord. Listen to Daniel eleven thirty two. I love this verse, and I'll explain to you why in a minute. This is, uh, if you take it, it's a big, broad context that I won't be able to go into. But he says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. It's talking about in the end times, the Antichrist and things like that. But the people who know their God will be strong. And will carry out great exploits. Exploits. That's, uh, that's amazing actions. That's stuff that can't be explained. That's uh, attacks behind enemy line. It's rescue in, uh, in the line of fire. It's amazing things. There's a movie coming out, uh, uh, I think, next spring. It's a true story about a... Uh, a young soldier who was a, a Quaker, I think he was a Quaker, and he he wouldn't carry a gun. He didn't believe in carrying a gun. And and so he became a medic and he was cast into battle and on one particular one particular battle <clears throat> he and I think it was you remember fifty six or fifty seven American soldiers 
were trapped on a, a, a hill, a ledge, and he personally rescued all 56 of them and lowered them down this ledge, and then he would run back into battle, grab another one, drag him to safety, lower him down. All day long, he rescued, and he rescued every one of those men. You know what I'd call that? I'd call that an exploit. He was strong, and he did an exploit. And God says, those who know their God will be strong and will do exploits, great exploits. You know, you can be a average soldier of the Lord, and you can do KP all your life. You can just sit around and peel potatoes. Nothing wrong with that. I, I like potatoes, and I'm glad somebody peels them. Uh, but, but you wouldn't call that an exploit, would you? Nah. It's okay. Somebody's got to do that. But when the enemy attacks or when your, some of your men have been captured, you don't want to just sit around and peel potatoes. That's when you want to grab a weapon and head into the thick of battle and come back having done exploits. Well, who can do exploits? Those who know their God. Those who know their God. This word for know, K-N-O-W, it's a Hebrew word, yada, yada. And it is a word that means the most intimate interaction that two people can possibly have. And as a matter of fact, it is the word that is used concerning a husband and a wife when they come together intimately and conceive a child. In Genesis chapter 3, when it says, And Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and bore a child. That's the word that's used. So this means that God wants us to have such an intimate interaction with Him that we actually feel a sense of union with Christ. We actually feel a sense of knowing that I am His and He is mine. And we can say, I love Him. A lady came to me one time and said, I just don't like to hear people saying they love Jesus. She said, that just sounds weird to me. And I said, well, how long have you been a Christian? She said, all my life. I said, well, you know what sounds weird to me? is that if you've been a Christian for that long, that you don't say, I love him. Yeah, I love Jesus. And the Bible says those who know him, those who love him, those who feel that sense of oneness and union with Christ, they're the ones that will be strong and do exploits. And then one last verse in John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. He said, this is eternal life. They might know God. So we add to our faith virtue, a passionate desire to get our life clean for the glory of God. I'm not talking about a list of rules and regulations and having to do it because the church says it or because your uh, pastor says it or something like that. You know, people come to me all the time and say, well, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? And I say, well, that's the wrong question. Don't ask what's wrong with it. Ask what's right with it. It, If you don't know whether something's right or wrong, maybe it's not best for you. Maybe I'll just leave it alone. If I were to go back in my bedroom and I took a shirt out and I hollered to my wife and said, Hey, hon, is this shirt dirty? You know what she'd say? Yeah. And I'd say, You didn't even look at it. How do you know it's dirty? She said, because if you had to ask, it's dirty. If you don't know it's clean, it's probably dirty. That makes sense? That makes sense? Alexis, that makes sense to you? You were were looking like it made sense to you there? Yeah. So so people ask me sometimes. We got two Alexises here right in the line here. if somebody said, well, what's wrong with uh, gambling? I say, well, I don't know. What's right with it? How does it help you? How does it honor God? Uh, would you want to do it if Jesus was with you? And I said, well, what's wrong with uh, uh, drinking? What's wrong with this? And what's wrong with that? I said, well, that's the wrong question. Virtue asks, what's right with it? Does it glorify God? People always want to know, is it okay for me? I'm a Christian. Is it okay for me to do this? Okay. I said, well, we came up with a little poem back. uh, I don't remember where I heard it or I don't think I wrote it. Uh, I've said it so many times I think I may have written it. But it, it says like this. It said, does it bind? Does it bless? Does it build? Is it best? That's a good question to ask about anything you're questionable about. Does it bind? In other words, could it make a could it make a, a, a prisoner of me? Could I get addicted to it? Is it something that I might grab hold of and not be able to let go of? Does it bind? And I tell these young boys, and I know I get a lot of criticism for preaching against drinking and everything like that, like... And I say, look, I'm not saying that legalistically. I'm saying it from a wisdom perspective. My dad started drinking when I was 13 years old. He came home and he said, son, you're going to see me drink some wine every night for the next month. But he said, I want you to know I'm taking it like medicine. And it's everything I've ever told you about alcohol is true. But, but you're going to see me drink. And I saw him night after night drink a glass of wine and then two glasses of wine and then three glasses of wine and then a whole bottle of wine. And then by the end of three months, he had gotten more stuff and more stuff. And within a year, he was a raging alcoholic. And I watched alcohol destroy one of the strongest 
finest men I ever knew in my life. I saw it destroy our family. I saw it destroy his health. I saw it destroy my mother. So, yep, I got to admit, I have a pretty negative attitude toward liquor. But I still say to people, I'm not legalistic about it. And I know some folks who drink a little, and they're, they're okay. I believe they're Christians and all. But when some teenager asks me, Austin, if you were to ask me, uh, what's wrong with drinking beer? I know you, you probably would never ask that question, but if you did, I would say, you know, here's one thing is that it can grab a hold of you and make you its prisoner. And I can't tell you the number of men over the years who've said to me early on, well, look, I'm stronger than that. And then I see them two years later, five years later, they are not stronger than that. They've been destroyed by it. So does it bind? Does it bind? Can it it make a prisoner out of you? And... uh, uh, Is it something you're going to have to have more of and more of and more of? Does it bind? But then does it it bless? Is it something that, that actually is a blessing to yourself and to other people? Then does it build? Does it does it actually build other people up? Does it strengthen you in the Lord? Does it make you better? And then is it best? There are a lot of things. That there's nothing wrong with. But I ought to leave them out of my life just because I don't have room for them and the better things. And if I were to set a bucket up here today, if I had five, ten buckets up here, and I had a bucket full of pennies, and I had a bucket full of quarters, and I had a bucket full of dollar bills, and I had a bucket full of $20 bills, and I had a bucket full of $100 bills. And I said, okay. I'm going to give you two minutes and a sack. And I want you to come up here and you get all that you can get in two minutes or maybe one minute. I don't know. Where are you going to run to? I'm going to head to that penny penny bucket. I'm going to get all them pennies I can. No, that penny bucket's not even going to get touched. In fact, I know which one you're going to start with. Is the $100 bill bucket. And if you get all of them, then you'll go to the 20s. You're not going to go to the ones until you've gotten all these others. Here's what I'm saying. Is that in life, there's lots of buckets. And there's some buckets that have got stuff in them that are penny worth. And there are a lot of Christians that are spending most of their time digging in the penny bucket. But there are some things that are worth a lot. And that's where we ought to go. That's where we ought to dig. Go there. So there's some things. Nothing wrong with pennies, by the way. I like pennies. I'll even stop and pick one up on the street. Huh? Unless it's too sunny. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, and... Now, I like them better if they're laying up high and I don't have to bend over quite as far. But, but I will. I'll stop and get a penny because I, I like pennies okay. But I'm not going to spend my life 
looking for pennies. There are other things better. So does it bind? Does it bless? Does it build? Is it best? It's easy to remember that. Can you remember those? Can you remember Alexis? This Alexis. Can you say, does it bind? Does it bless? Does it build? Is it best? That's right. Okay, let's all say those together. Does it bind? Does it bless? Does it build? Is it best? See, that's four good questions to ask. Anytime you're trying to decide, should I do this? Ask those four questions. And if it's best, and if it builds, and if it blesses, and if it doesn't bind, then you say, to the glory of God, I'll do this. That's adding virtue. All right. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much today that you have called us to be your people. We were living out in sin, just messing up our life, wasting our life, and headed for hell. And you intervened, and you drew us to yourself. Lord, we just can never thank you enough for that. And you gave to us the faith to believe, to trust you, to receive you. And we can never thank you enough for that. But now that we are your child, you've called us to add to our faith virtue, passionate love for you and hatred for sin. And then to add to our faith, to our virtue, knowledge, to know you, to know about you by studying, to know you by experience, and to know you in a loving romance. And I pray that you will help us to do that. In Jesus' name, Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week. And may the Lord richly bless you.